the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I find when the Holy Spirit's running the church, you want to sing a lot about Jesus. Not about me, my, me, my, moo, my, my. It's about him, 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 him. You know why? The one member of the Godhead that went to the lowest depths for us, the other two members of the Godhead had said, from now on, we'll promote you so they'll know he who went the lowest will be the highest in praise. We've said it before, worship is not simply singing a few songs once a week before and after somebody talks about Jesus. Worship is so much more than that. And over the course of our next two programs, that is exactly what we'll be looking at. If you ever had questions about worship and what it really is, and how to best worship Christ, and do so all the time, well, you've come to the right place. With today's broadcast of Truth For Today... Here's Pastor Phil Howard. God, in His Word, has told us, my people have certain affections. Certain things about me affect them in ways that affect them in many ways. So that knowing God will not leave you unaffected. Knowing God will not leave you like He found you. I don't care if you're a German, an Italian, it has nothing to do with ethnicity. I don't care if you're an introvert, an extrovert. I don't care about any of that. Your humanity, uh, through the new birth and through the spirit in you, will have certain emotional affections and responses to God. And I just review what we looked at last week. He makes his people rejoice. And so he could always say, rejoice in me. He says, be contented with your God. Hebrews 13. He says, it produces fervently loving the brethren from your heart. 1 Peter 1, 22. It's abounding in hope. Psalms 42. Uh, you will come to fear God only. Not everybody, but God only. Uh, peace that is indescribable. A zeal and fervency for the things of God. An ability to emotionally enter into the sorrows of others out of Romans 12. That we sorrow with those that sorrow. We weep with those that weep. It's a divine capacity he gives his people. He delivers us from stoical, frozen emotions to a freedom to be emotional. Because we're responding to God who's producing it. Uh, Desires for his word like a newborn babe. To meet someone that is ravishly hungry for the word of God. Without being a preacher or a teacher. Just I want to find out all I can about this one who saved me. Uh, Tenderheartedness. Ephesians 4.32. Gratitude. uh, Giving thanks in all things. Humility. The mind of Christ 
being in you. Now we want to pick up uh, the second half and look at this concept of what is worship. He says he worships, and uh, in our culture uh, and with our many church traditions, worship can be all over the board. And I hear a lot of people talking about it that don't know a thing about it. Uh, We talk about worship music. Uh, There's no music that's worship. Music does not worship. Music does not worship. People worship. Or you hear about, uh, it's the worship service. And the last thing that may have happened was worship. You sat here and you begrudged every minute that you were in church. And you're sorry that I preach long. And you're sorry that we sing so much. And you called it a worship service. Now, calling something a worship service doesn't make it a worship service. You cannot designate a worship hour and make anyone worship. Listen to what he says. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus... And who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And we've been looking at to live is Christ means I do not waste my life. I'm willing to risk my life. And then I'm willing to become a worshiper of God. And this is transforming. And Paul is saying in this chapter, I've counted everything else but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Christ has become my greatest treasure, my greatest ambition. Now, let me start with basics here and just define, give you some definitions of worship, hoping that some word might trigger it for you. If you can remember the first letter of the alphabet, it might help you. A. Uh, It means to ascribe to God his worth, value, And glory with all of your being. To ascribe to God the worth he alone has. And you do it with all of your being. So one part is the ascribing and saying back to God what's really true of him. What he is and what he's done. But, but it's not just saying it back. It is involving the whole of your being in doing it. Those are the two parts. And so that in this ascribing, you are involved, if your whole spirit gets involved, in adoration. Uh, You start being in awe of how great he is. You start being aware of his relational presence. When we talk about the presence of God, we're not talking about spatial presence. Presence of God is used three ways in scripture. One, his presence in heaven. Two, spatially, he's omnipresent. Third, relationally. How can you draw nigh to someone that's omnipresent? It's relational. In your mind and heart, you are drawing nigh because you want a relationship with this person. And in the Old Testament, when God was present, it was always as a whole present to bless. Baraka. That's the Hebrew word. They were blessed when God was present. So that there's a sense of blessing 
when I sense awareness of his presence. And you'll get people that are praying, Lord, let me want to sense your presence. Another says, well, he's always present. Well, he's present at a bar. He's present at a brothel. If you're talking spatial presence. But his manifest presence, his relational presence, he inhabits the praises of his people. And certain activities bring him nearer than just he's present. Mystical for you? Too bad. Get over it. It's the Bible. We draw nigh to God. And we can drift from God. We can go away from God or we can be going towards God. So worship is my being involved in ascribing this great word. Now this is where it gets tricky. Here's the tricky thing. Is that your being, the heart of you, is made in three components. Most of you. Intellect, some, we question. Uh, Emotion. And some of you got more than the others can stand. And will, the will. Now, Jesus said, the time is coming, he tells the Samaritan woman, the time is coming where worship will be a matter of the internal engagement of a heart and it will not be dependent on locality. You won't need to be in Samaria or Jerusalem. John 4. You won't need a sacrificial system. You won't need a high priest. You won't need a priest of any kind. Uh, you won't need a ritual. There's nothing. Worship is very ambiguous in the New Testament. It, it, there's no order in the New Testament. The Old Testament was loaded with the Aaronic priesthood and how they killed the animal and where they put the incense and how they did their washing and their bathing. You come to the New Testament, we have absolutely no guideline but this. If the heart, the spirit is engaged, the inner man, and it's controlled by divine truth, you shall worship God in spirit. And there's not the Holy Spirit. It's your human spirit inside. Worship is moving from externals. Moving from animals. Moving from a priesthood. Worship is moving to an internal experience. It's moving geographically. No longer is the temple in Jerusalem. He said local churches become the temple. And then he says you personally become a temple And a temple means a place where God hangs out. Temple, you went to temple because you were drawing nigh to God for God would manifest himself in ways that he did not other places on the earth. Temple was important. But Jesus said, I am the temple. And where I am, I turn local churches into temples. And I turn individual believers' bodies into temples. So hear me. Worship is not a once a week experience. Worship is not a one hour event. Worship is not dependent on singing. It's not dependent on preaching. It's not dependent on teaching. It's dependent on this. When your inner man engages in ascribing to God his worth, his value, his greatness for who he is and for what he has done, that is worship any place it happens. So you hear people get into, well, 
uh, we need, you know, we need worship music. No, we don't. It might help get you there. But what would be nice if the people doing the singing were worshiping? But the singing won't make you a worshiper, but the worshiper can take the song and make it a sacrifice of praise at the feet of God. Now, I'm telling you, I've watched people come into church parking lots all these years, slap the kid and boom and do and get in here and preach the word. Preach the word. I want a worship service. Tell me something. Fix me. Fix my marriage. Fix my kids. They're driving me. Wait, wait. Did you come to get God? Did you come thirsting for God? Did you come to say, I want to corporately engage my heart in a communal relationship of adoring the living God? Is that my first agenda? You shouldn't be able to do it better here than you could do it at home. You can do it in your car. But it's interesting that worship is an awareness of God, ascribing his glory. Glory means honor. You're honoring him for his greatness. Now, now what's interesting with a a lot of us Christians, uh, God is an undiscovered jewel. Uh, We've got God for everything, and he's the fix-it man. Instead of who you worship. Um, it's like uh, your wife inherits a piece of jewelry from her grandmother and it just looks ordinary and you've never taken any time to investigate it. And finally you decide to take it to a jeweler and the jeweler puts on those uh, dollar glasses that tells you, tells you, you're going to charge you twice if it's a diamond. And he looks in there, ooh, hey, wow, look at the cut. Look at the color. Look at the light refractions. Look at this. Are you aware that you have a valuable piece of jewelry here? You walked in with what you thought was a piece of junk because you don't know how to ascertain the value of this jewelry. And now you're going to leave with something that is far more worth than you ever could dream And when we talk about worship, we're telling the saints, you ought to get your God under the microscope and see what you got in God. You ought to see how rich he is in power, rich in mercy, rich in grace, great in strength. What he's done in the past, what he did at the exodus, what he did in the flood, how he delivered one child of God after another throughout history. And you start saying, oh, you mean this is who he is? And I now know him through Christ. Would you not be overwhelmed with a sense of awe at the value of the possession? God said, I have nothing that rivals me. But hear me. The depravity of man, the sinfulness of man is manifested the greatest by what he will worship. You see, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who worship things and those who worship God. But there is no such thing as a a non-worshiping human being. Did you know that in the Old Testament, atheism was not a problem? It was idolatry, many gods. And God's covenant people were hoodwinked out of the true and living God 
and bought into the idols of the nations around them. And according to Romans 1, the Gentile world is so bad off that when we knew God, we despised what we knew, we suppressed it, put it under wraps, and begin to bow down to four-footed animals, snakes, bugs, and we will worship almost anything but the true and living God. Every man and woman is a worshiper. There is something you have attributed ultimate value to in your life. Sex, a person, money, power, pleasure, you, self. There's something that has ultimate value in your life that determines your life. Paul said, I've counted everything but rubbish that I may gain this one treasure, Christ. I want to know him. I want to experience him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. If I may gain Christ alone, I'll be rich a million times over. And so what does it mean to worship the living God? Uh, It means that my inner being, my emotions, my mind, and my will are involved in the worship of the living God. Let us look at Psalms 95 to show some of the manner that worship works out and how this is demonstrated. Psalms 95, a classic psalm on worship. We have the chorus, come let us worship and bow down, taken right out of this psalm. And notice what he's going to tell us about worship. He starts in, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. First of all, I'd like to say that he uses the come let us do this. This is a corporate invitation. Worship is best done corporately, communally. It can be done privately. But I love the story of C.S. Lewis when he said that Charles Smith and Tolkien and he had this little fraternity at Oxford and they ran around together and they uh, and Lewis was certainly taken up with Tolkien's great brilliance and writing ability, the Lord of the Rings and all of this, uh, his writings. And uh, he said when Charles Smith, one of the writers at England, died, he, he wrote in one of his writings, he said, I hate to say this about myself, but I had a kind of a joy in it because I thought I'll get more of Tolkien for myself. Now I won't have to share him with Charles Smith. But he said, you know what I found when I got with Tolkien after that? I got less of Tolkien because Charles brought things out about Tolkien that I couldn't bring out. He pushed buttons. He he brought up subjects. Uh, He drew him out. And I got a fuller person in a context of several Friendships than when I just had him by myself. And that's what happens in corporate worship. You'll look over one place, someone's wiping their eyes over the song. The other's clapping their hands. Someone said, isn't he a great God? Someone else responds this way. And you say, do you know that God is affecting a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And I'm getting the whole wonder and picture of what God affects his people like. 
It's a corporate dynamic. There is nothing like it. Uh, as becoming a believer as a young boy in just ordinary kind of meetings, the, the environment from the parking lot, I mean it, I drove up to meetings as a kid from the time I got in the parking lot and if they were singing to the time I got in that meeting was like day and night. This environment was absolutely charged. I'm telling you, it was charged. Because when I got in the middle of this group, it'd be like you'd be in the middle of the Raiders fan club. Huh? You know what I'm talking about now, don't you? Because I said, I just got in the middle of a fan club. Come let us. And right here, that first command, this is the emotions of worship. And this is what you emotional folks love. See, we believe in emotions, not emotionalism. We don't elevate emotions above the word of God. We don't elevate disorder above the word of God. We say we have a birthright to biblical, authentic emotions towards God. It's part of our being. And here's it. Let us sing. That's not my personality. Well, disobey it then. God will let the spirit dry up in you because you don't like what he said. He said, sing to the rock of our salvation. Come before him with thanksgiving. You showed up today because you just want to brag on God of how good he's been, right? So, the first part of this worship is really celebration and is very emotive, a corporate experience. Then he goes on to say, our worship is controlled by truth. And he begins to rehearse why we ought to be singing. The Lord is a great God. He's a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. See, he's responding to the truth he knows about God. He's not making a God that can make the mountains and the sea and all creation. This is a great God. He's above all gods. He, he outclasses them all. That's why I'm extolling him. That's why I'm acting the way I do. So we've got an emotive worship. We've got it based on truth. And now he's going to appeal to the will, will aspect of worship. And then he says... Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Now, this word bow down to the Hebrew mind and the Oriental mind meant to submit. To submit to. It's not just a physical activity. No, when I bow down, I'm surrendering my will, I'm coming under the authority of the one I bow to. Worship has got to engage your will and your voluntary submission to this God. Disobedience will not make up for any form of worship. I don't care if you're singing Handel's Messiah or some Pentecostal chorus. Emotionalism or intellectualism will never be satisfying where there's disobedience to bow before God. Worship must involve the voluntary surrender of my life to God's lordship and majesty. This is why you read in Genesis 22, and Abraham went up with Isaac to worship God. 
Where's the band? Where's the music? Where's the celebration when an old man goes on a trip in his mind to kill his boy in obedience to God? He worshiped because worship isn't about rhythms and it's not about notes. It's about obedience to the living God. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules. As we conclude our time together today, we would invite you to contact us if you have questions, comments about the broadcast. Maybe you have a question about your own walk and relationship with the Lord or a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you. Please get in touch with us today. Now, we have a couple of ways to do so. The easiest might be simply visiting our website, truthfortodayradio.org. You can drop us an email. We have other means of contact that you'll find there at truthfortodayradio.org. We also have a lot of resource materials available for your growth and relationship with Christ. Our design and desire is to see that you grow in Christ, grow according to His knowledge and grace. Any way we can help, well, that's why we're here. So stop by truthfortodayradio.org or simply give us a call, 855 833-9864. Again, you can reach us at 855-833-9864. Please bear in mind as you contact us that this is a listener-supported ministry. As you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. Prayerfully consider how you might get involved in the ministry of Truth For Today, won't you? 855- 833-9864 or write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. And that website, once again, truthfortodayradio.org. It is a pleasure spending time with you in God's Word. We trust we'll see you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Pastor Phil Howard.